the digital transition. Digital Transition, a podcast series created to assist those tasked with implementing digital strategies, where we will share our knowledge and experiences to support you in your transition. Welcome to the Digital Transition, podcast number 21. I'm your host, Nathan Hildebrandt. Now, it's great to be back behind the microphone again, talking with industry experts about their experiences and their digital transitions. Now, a lot has happened over the last eight months and many changes have occurred to the way in which we live and do business. The importance of digital processes in the delivery and management of built assets are now at the forefront, and what they are there for are to enable clearer communication of information throughout the life cycle of a built asset. Now today I'm talking to Sarah Delaney from the NBS about classification systems and the importance of them in the digital asset life cycle. Now, before I introduce Sarah, I'd like to announce an exciting partnership that we've formed with the NBS. So as part of this series, the NBS are our exclusive sponsor uh, for our 10 episodes that we'll be posting this year. So NBS are the creators of UniClass 2015 and specification tool NBS Chorus. Now, the creation of a specification is an integral part of the documentation created by the design team. So NBS Chorus is a flexible, uh, responsive specification software and it allows you to design and specify in parallel with your modeling uh, either in Archicad or Revit uh, through its direct link API. Now this linking it provides live tracking of what's within your model and your specification and the aim is is to remove conflicts from your documentation. To learn more about MBS head to their website www.thenbs.com.au all right, now let's kick this thing off. Uh, thank you uh, for taking the time today to talk to me, Sarah. It's a pleasure. It's uh, really good to speak to you. Now, now, firstly, Sarah, for those that aren't aware of who you are, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, I'm a building services engineer by profession. I did a degree at Loughborough University in the UK, and then I worked in a contracting organisation for uh, several years um, more recently, I've been working on generating specification content with uh, MBS. And since 2006, I've been looking at how we can uh, generate a, a classification system that will be appropriate for use in BIM processes. I have to say that's a, a challenging thing. So you're going from one complex uh, maze of uh, things in building services to a, a complex uh, arrangement of numbers and letters, etc. It's certainly been fascinating and uh, talking to all the different experts in all the different fields has taken me way outside of my normal knowledge area and uh, I found out some amazing things as a result. So yes, I, I have got quite excited about doing classification now. I'm hoping after the end of this uh, podcast uh, discussion, people will become more excited about classifications and, uh, and you know, it's a very dry topic to start the podcast series on, but the reality of it is that it, it forms a fundamental um, uh, starting point for, you know, the, 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 essentially the attribution of elements within a model. 
Absolutely. And um, I mean, basically, we use classification every day in our normal lives. If you go into a supermarket, you certainly won't go and look for a couple of beers in the meat department because you know that it'll be in the alcohol department. So if you're searching for something via Google, there's a classification system in the back of that. So whether we know it or appreciate it or not, classification is something which is at the basis of all our lives. And within the construction industry, it becomes even more important to have some form of standardization about how things are referred to, not necessarily within the actual construction, design and construction part, but when you hand all that over to the team that are going to manage and operate that particular asset, it's really important that there's a clear understanding that the things that have been installed are going to match up with all the processes that are um, part of the asset management system. Now, before I get too distracted and, and carried away with the whole classifications thing because I'm I'm really edgy to start jumping into this and, you know, maybe it's to do with the, the time difference uh, of Australia to the UK. I don't know. But, but you know, the, the, the key thing is is that, you know, you're from the NBS and uh, the NBS obviously I'm very grateful for their support in this podcast series for 2020 uh, and – and believe they have a, a very important role to play in industry. Uh, and the NBS obviously located in, in a few different countries. The NBS are more than just a classification system. <laughs> Can you share with us a little bit more about who the NBS is, what the history is behind it? Because that is really, really important to the context of, you know, Uniclass 2015, for example. Absolutely. Well, MBS has been in Australia now for about three years, but in the UK, they've been around for nearly 50 years. They started off as a, a part of the commercial arm of the um, RIBA, the Royal Institute of British Architects. And what they set about providing was a generic form of classification, uh, specification rather than classification, so that architects, uh, instead of having to start from scratch every time or use the specification from the previous job and modifying it, not necessarily always successfully, then there, there was a, a, a version of uh, a specification material which allowed architects to be much more clear about what they were actually specifying in their design. And so that started off just as paper. Uh, and through the years, uh, with the development of um, software and, and uh, general use of the internet, that's gone through the process of being on, on floppy disks, for anybody who remembers those, uh, into a piece of software that was issued on a, a CD that uh, you loaded onto your machine. And now we have our uh, chorus platform, which uh, has our specification content within it that uh, with a subscription, you can then download that and use it, tailor it to match the, the projects that you're actually working on. So there's a huge wealth of experience behind MBS in terms of uh, producing information that's organized in a really clear way. 
they started off with the early version, the 1997 version of Uniclass. The particular table was called the Common Arrangement of Work Sections, and that clearly structured all the, uh, the different aspects of a, a building. And uh, now that the UK government has required uh, or has set out a requirement for this new a new form of uniclass, which is much more congruent across the whole uh, sphere. You, uh, MBS are now using that to um, structure the classification or the specification material. And, uh, and that's what's available to uh, all you in Australia now, as well as in the UK. And the other area, uh, a country that we have a subsidiary in is Canada. Uh, and that um, they work with both Omniclass and Uniclass there. Yeah, so it's more of a North American uh, angle over in, in Canada, obviously. But uh, for, for the listeners that may have attended my uh, event here in Australia in February earlier this year, you would may have seen the opportunity to see Matt Johnson from Power Architects actually demonstrating how Chorus actually interacts uh, with Archicad. And it actually interacts as well with Revit, but... Um, the interaction with Archicad, I think, was a new feature or a new connection or add-in that occurred only just recently. Um, so it's worthwhile checking out that presentation. Yes, I mean that this—the whole thing about interoperability and being able to link together the model and the specification—is a really key thing that you know all designers are looking for and taking through into the construction phase as well. Because uh, if you're making changes in one to know that that's immediately linked to the other and it's going to flag something is absolutely vital. One of the things I thought that was really interesting and it's because I jumped, you know, jumped steps in, in our in our question and answer type scenario in terms of my normal structure of how I, how I uh, go about putting the podcast together. But you touched on a very interesting point and it almost answered me for me, but most people understand the analogy of, of uh, trying to find alcohol. Uh, here in Australia, well, up in, in Queensland anyway, uh, we can't buy alcohol in our supermarkets. So there wouldn't be a classification in a supermarket suitable for alcohol. You know, why is it so important to actually have classification systems uh, to identify uh, elements rather than just their names? That's a really interesting. I mean, numbers and uh, codes are much more easily used in a uh, in software, but we need the words in order to help us to identify it because we can't identify the the code itself. And one of the things that's really important about the the way this classification has been developed is that it was part of the specification for the classification was that it had to be appropriate throughout the entire life cycle of an asset. And what that means is that you're not just looking at the construction phase, the design and construction phase. What you're doing is you're saying, okay, this information about this particular piece of plant, whether it's um, a fan or a pump, or even um, about the paint in, in a particular uh, area, that information is attached to a code, which is handed over to the owner operator. And at that point, 10 years down the line, that information is still available to them, easily identified by that particular code. However many people have moved on or retired or whatever it is. So what you're doing is you're putting in place a method of identifying things. 
classification makes finding things and finding information much easier. That is that is really the sort of basic thing. Going back to the supermarket, and I had no idea you couldn't get beer in a supermarket. <laughs> However, I bet you can buy uh, steaks and uh, and fruit and veg. So the the analogy still works in that particular instance. But when you're talking about an asset. That asset is going to be in use for many years and therefore different people are going to be involved and there are going to be different people involved in different aspects of it. Because if you come 10 years down the line to do a bit of refurbishment or add on an extension or whatever else it is, if you've got access via that code to all the original design decisions, the different types of material, the actual method of construction, it makes it an awful lot easier to then decide how you're going to carry out that refurbishment or that additional extension and that sort of thing. So it's all about how you manage information and how you access it when you need it and and having all the appropriate detail available to you whenever you want. And that can include costings, uh, the actual uh, details about how something should be maintained. Um, there's, There's everything. Uh, all hanging off that one code and you can identify where that thing is within your model. You know exactly where it is, what it is and and how to go about keeping it going or uh, replacing it or anything else like that. So I guess one kind of key thing from my perspective is, you know, understanding the way classification systems may be used throughout the different phases of the life cycle of the delivery, you know, the design, the construction and operation phases of an, of an asset. It is reasonably clear when you have traditional pr- pr- um, methodologies where a paper-based specification probably still will be provided in PDF format and, you know, the challenges being that unless, you know, common data environment's been implemented or a, a reasonably stru- structured information management system has been implemented by an asset owner, the chances of actually finding that information in the future is going to be pretty hard because I've worked with asset owners that own them for own assets for 20, 30 years and you have to piece together the information to find out what the result is. How do you see the the new class, you know, the classification system obviously isn't new and it obviously enables baskets of information to be put together dependent upon the use as well. How much easier is it to find that information uh, if you're trying to connect back to a cloud specification or an online specification in the future? That might be an easier thing as well. It's a lot. Of, it's a lot to digest in my thought, but it's a, it's almost like a it's just a lot of information in my head, just going, how can this be so much better? And I think it could be, but what's the selling point? I think the key thing about this is we're talking about digital information. Your model is digital. Is an additional digital environment. Um, your specification. A lot of the cost information, a lot of the uh, maintenance information is all digital. And if you go have a look at ISO 19650, the processes that it sets out there are all to do with managing information digitally. And there, there is a requirement that you use a standard classification uh, uh, system uh, in order to, as the basis for setting up your storage containers, I think they're called still in there, certainly in the old um, PAS 1192 in the UK, they were called containers. So we, I totally understand what you're saying about the um, the, the operating maintenance instructions sitting in a filing cabinet somewhere gathering dust and people making it up as they go along. 
what we're looking at here is saying, okay, yes, that, that has happened in the past. Some people have actually gone to the lengths of digitizing some of that and storing it within their systems. So um, it, it's all part of a whole process. You're not looking at the classification in isolation. It's part of this process set out in the ISO for managing information. And uh, it, it's applicable in many different fields. So there are tables within the Unicus uh, structure at the moment, which are purely and simply about documents, the project management table. So even things like a, a document, uh, which is in a PDF format, there is a structure for saving that information, uh, which is based actually originally on the requirements uh, expected by various um, UK government departments. They set out a list of all the information they expected to be handed over at the end of a construction phase. And so, so that table has got that type of information that includes things like certificates and details about the competence and, and this sort of thing, as well as the operating and maintenance. So it, it's very much looking at, at digitally uh, uh, managing information in a way that allows you with a classification system to find what you want when you want it. So really a key takeaway for a client now here in Australia and and, and in particular the ISO standard of 19650.2 uh, and point one, well point one it would be uh, where you have the UK annex which includes the naming strategy that they put in place for documents uh, that's set under a common data environment. So here in Australia, we don't actually have that an annex written with, in and around document naming. So one key thing, I guess, to note for asset owners here in Australia is, is that as part of the UK standard, there is a recommendation or a suggestion that you can incorporate a Uniclass 2015 code as part of your document naming strategy. So this classification system is bigger than just the model. It's actually for every piece of information that goes to the actual built asset. So therefore, in your common data environment or even just a database, typing a search for a specific code, which would be based on the Uniclass 2015 classification system for a specific certificate, every single project would be able to, you'd be able, every single asset that you own, by typing in that code, you should be able to, if people have named it correctly, uh, find that specific those certificates that are of those relevances. So that's essentially why the classification system actually has relevance, not just uh, for design construction in terms of you know estimating and construction and, and basketing elements that are modelled, but it actually is really important for the whole life cycle for not just the building as a building with you know modelled elements that are you know, might not be suitable for people to maintain, but it's also for every single document. Absolutely. And I think the other thing that's quite important, which is probably a bit harder to actually achieve, uh, certainly here in the UK, is that it's really important that the uh, owners actually engage with the construction team, the design team, to ensure that the codes are going to be appropriate for what they've already got set up. Sometimes it's a matter that there isn't anything actually set up by the uh, uh, owners and therefore they're happy to take what the designers have allocated. But where you've got um, something like, uh, well, Transport for London in, in the UK, they have... Um, a database for products which have uniclass codes and it's important then that when they're 
designing or working on a new piece of rail, that those products are linked directly in the construction phase into then their asset management phase. So it, it's actually important that owners and uh, also understand the classification and what information they can get out of it as a result, because their demands on on it will be quite different. I mean, we've had examples with um, with the Met Police, for example, in the UK. They went through an exercise to classify every space in a, a particular police station, and then alongside that, they. Uh, allocated any activity that could go in there. So a meeting room might be used for an interview with a, a suspect, a victim, a witness. And each of those activities then were, became part of it. And then what they were able then to do was to look at their building and assess which parts of it were used for their custodial uh, tasks and which were used for their operational tasks. And that allowed them to break down their cost structure. So it's actually quite important uh, once you're looking at it on the owner side to decide what information is really important for you uh, and, and what you need to be able to get out of it in addition to knowing exactly what pieces of plant and equipment have been installed and, and how they've been installed. So the other really important thing to note about classifications is that they're not just, you know, when people open up a table uh, the first time, you can get overwhelmed uh, by the number of the number of uh, options you have to pick from. Can can you briefly touch upon the structure of, you know, just just one of the tables? Uh, we won't go into like nitty gritty details, but the the thing that can be taken away for most people, and and you talk about the need of information and the and how granular people need to be. You know, your tables have different levels, for example. They're not just, you know, everyone doesn't have to go into level four and, and, and have eight-digit long classifications because then they have, at that level, there's 3,000 to choose from. But if you go to the next level up, there's, you know, maybe 100 or 200. Do you want to talk about that and, and how the structure of that works and, and, and how for an asset owner they could potentially choose where to go with what level based upon that example you just talked about? If we're thinking about the construction side and, and how you're linking into your model, uh, rather than thinking about the owner at the moment, because I think that's probably where most people have started looking at this. When you first decide you're going to build a building, let, let's stick with a building. It can be a station or it can be an office or whatever it is. And you just start off with a block marked out on a plan and you know that you're going to have walls and a roof, or usually a roof, and then and there'll be floors. So at the very basics, you've got the element function table, which allows you just to say, right, this is my wall. Um, I'm going to obviously have doors in it. I'm going to have windows. And then also the functional part says, yes, well, we're going to need power. We're going to need lighting. We're going to need some sort of plumbing. We're going to need some sort of hot and cold water, air conditioning. When you then go into the systems table, which then comes straight off that uh, elements functions table, you can start breaking that down a little bit more. Um, with something like a wall, you can decide uh, whether it's going to be a reinforced concrete wall, whether it's going to be panels, uh, whether it's going to be timber, whether it's going to be a masonry wall. And at that point, you've got various different options that you can then, because uh, if it's going to be masonry, you don't know what kind of bricks 
I'm not familiar with the form of construction in, in uh, Australia, but uh, here in the UK, we're very fond of bricks here. But there are different sorts of bricks, so uh, and depending on where you're building in the country. So, um, so you can you can work your way down saying, okay, it's going to be some sort of masonry wall. And then you can start linking to which type of precise brick in your products table. So you do it step by step and you develop it depending on what level of information is appropriate at an appropriate time. Because if you're going down to detailing uh, the uh, the type of bricks at a point where you're still not sure whether it's actually going to be a masonry wall or whether it's going to be a timber wall, then you're wasting time and money. So working out and being really clear about the level of granularity that you're going to go down to at what stage you are in your uh, development of your your project, that that's the thing that's uh, going to be uh, important. The key message for that is, is that the, the classification system granularity follows the decision-making processes and as, and, and it follows it as deep as it's needed for the, the purpose that you're doing or you're performing. And that's essentially Absolutely. how it works. So it doesn't need to be as complex as it may seem. And most, most buildings probably don't embrace all anywhere near all of them. It's just a matter of just people getting used to that code system. Well, the classification yes, system, I if think, I want to use the real words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that one of the things to do when uh, when you're first looking at those tables, yes, it, it's mind-boggling and, and Excel doesn't really help in its presentation. But if you um, use the, um, the, the sorting thing to just, first of all, look at the the major groups, the high-level groups, uh, because each pair of numbers has a, a significance. They're not random. As you come up that uh, those pairs, the actual final object itself is part of a section, which is part of a subgroup, which is part of the main group. So, uh, if you're looking for um, something to do, I mean, one of the things we've recently added in as a, a result of a, a, a request from Transport for New South Wales, we've put uh, some details of crossing methods for uh, fauna. Uh, including koala poles beside roads. So um, you wouldn't look for that amongst the uh, the brickwork and, and that sort of thing. But you will be able to find something specifically about fauna and then work down to the fauna, to the fauna crossing systems and uh, work it uh, work out then exactly what it is you want to code that thing with. So just using the Excel sort, uh, functionality gives you a really a much better way of searching through because you can then see where the thing you're looking for is most likely to be. Uh, and I know there are whizzes out there who can do all kind of macros with Excels. It's it's not my forte, um, but uh, you can do so much with an Excel file. I I am led to believe. Your comments then open up a whole myriad of questions in my mind, and. <laughs> And it's important though. And one of the things I think that's really important to understand is, you know, on a previous podcast uh, last year, a podcast where I talked to Rob Roof about uh, the importance of IFC and the feedback that people have given in regards to IFC's scheme and not 
actually covering a free element type in construction. Now, classification systems are obviously in a sim- similar boat. You've just explained that you know, a UK classification system had no ability to cover koala crossings. <laughs> I don't know how many koalas you have in the UK, but it's an interesting thing. So obviously, as a classification system that the NBS manages, how do you handle the needs of these classifications and how do you update them? So I'm interested in, in the feedback loop in terms of how that how that happens. We welcome feedback of any sort, so good or bad, because by hearing about how people are trying to use it and finding the holes in it, that helps us then to improve it. So we have a, um, an email uh, that people can uh, contact and that's uh, available on our website, uh, web page. What we do then is, if it's a straightforward uh, request and it's fairly obvious, we can then send back a note, we intend to put a new code in, in our next publication. And we update the tables every three months. So actually the uh, July 2020 update has just gone out. And we work with people who come back saying, well, I can't find one of these. Sometimes it's because we've called it something different. So we can then point them in the direction uh, of that. We had a request recently for an eductor, which is a device used in wastewater treatment. But it turns out that another name for it is a jet pump. And so therefore, uh, they've used that terminology. And, and that's fine because that then has, has set them on, on the way. But other times there are things uh, which we know we haven't got. And then it's a matter of discussing with the person that's asked to make sure we absolutely clearly understand exactly what they're talking about. And and I love pictures because that helps me to fully understand exactly how this fits into whatever it is that we're, we're looking at. And um, we've done some work on, on marine work, some coastal protection schemes. And that's an area which I... I'm aware of, but I don't have in-depth knowledge of. And so therefore, we've looked at plans, we've looked at diagrams, and we've talked about um, uh, quite a lot of, of different ways of dealing with it. And new codes have gone in as a result of that. So we're talking with experts throughout every single sector both in Australia. Uh, I'm doing some work with a New Zealand uh, company at the moment on power supplies. In Canada, we're talking to one of the health departments um, because there's a huge amount of health equipment that we don't cover at the moment. So it's an ongoing. We know that the classification isn't complete. We also are uh, are perfectly aware that there are bits that are wrong and we're very happy for people to point that out because it gives us an opportunity to correct it. There are duplicates uh, within it. I don't think there's as many as we started off. I, we have one um, uh, contributor in the in the UK who, after every du- update, sent me through a new list of duplicates. So <laughs> I think we've more or less worked our way through those. But it's fantastic working with people in different areas uh, and different industries. We're working with with the water industry, we're working with the rail industry, uh, as I say, hospitals. Uh, We're about to do some more work with the Department of Education in in the UK. So to me, it's exciting because it means that we can help people to to have a a tool which is fit for purpose and matches their requirements. And uh, as I say, we publish a new version 
uh, or an updated version uh, every three months. And what we've recently started doing is publishing a change log file with it. So uh, hopefully within where people have got them set up embedded in their processes, it'll make it a bit easier to actually identify where the, the issues are. We've, we've always done a revision sheet in a PDF format, but we're now doing an Excel file to identify that as well. Oh, people love Excel. It, 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 it's, <laughs> it's something people get excited about. So in, in terms of that, so people are very proactive and, and you guys are always updating it. Now, one of the things I think that's really important for my Australian listeners and I think this is something that is probably a result of the authoring software that a lot of them use here in Australia. Now a lot of consultants are using the US Omni last system and it is because it's embedded pretty much in the software that they're using their BIM authoring software and that's because it's developed out of the USA. There's nothing wrong with that because obviously the Omni class is a, is a system that's suitable for the North American market the North American construction industry and and I do want to ask you about other classification systems before we finish up. But here in Australia, you're well aware of some of the activities that are going on. Why do you think it's important for consultants in Australia to begin incorporating um, Uniclass 2015 into their workflows and templates and the large customers or asset owners you've been dealing with? Who have you been dealing with in Australia, for example, that actually means that kind of some traction is going towards Uniclass 2015 as a system for Australia? Within Australia, we've we've done a huge amount of work with Transport for New South Wales, who are, uh, they give us loads of feedback as well, but it, it's been fascinating to work with an organisation that's actually implementing it throughout their entire work uh, structures. We've also worked with the uh, state of Victoria uh, um, government departments and uh, we've done some work with VBIS uh, in their, uh, uh, where they're developing templates for uh, maintenance and operation. It's working alongside people and learning for us, learning how they're trying to implement things. And also in Queensland, we're aware that Queensland have recently recommended that Uniclass 2015 is, is involved. And when I was over last October, I saw a couple of projects there where they are looking to use Uniclass 2015. I think Omniclass is obviously something that's been in the US for uh, several years now. It's also structured in accordance with the framework set out in ISO 12006 Part 2, which is the requirement of ISO 9650 as it happens. I would say that we're in a better position in Uniclass to be able to respond to requests for changes. We have a system uh, which I think works very well. It's, it doesn't go out to a group committee. We work with the experts we're talking to and we have a team within MBS uh, and we work things through uh, like that. And I think also that we have the advantage that the requirement that UK government put on us was to do this entire life cycle usage and also infrastructure and building. And I think you'll find Uniclass 2015 is a lot more, has a lot more content for both asset management and for infrastructure than Omniclass does at the moment. So I suppose, to be honest, it depends what sort of project you're working on. If you're working on buildings, you'll probably find Omniclass is, is not too uh, uh, dissimilar from uh, what you get out of Uniclass. But if you're working in, in infrastructure and looking towards the asset management side, of things, I think you'll find Uniclass 2015 is is uh, 
better suited. You didn't take the bait. <laughs> but uh, but <laughs> from, from my perspective, and, and this is me coming from my position as a member of industry, government are starting to mandate a direction in, in picking a classification system and, and building templates to do work in your authoring software can take a tedious amount of time. My secret instruction to industry is that with government going towards Uniclass 2015, uh, maybe it's time to also incorporate that those classification systems into your uh, authoring software processes. So that, that was my baited question, but it didn't get taken, so I'm just going to have to eat the bait myself. <laughs> well, yeah. of course, that's what you should be doing. <laughs> oh, I tried to serve it on a platter, but it didn't work. But now there. No, I'm sorry. I'm. <laughs> It was too politically correct, but then you put the sales pitch in for it at the end. But now, obviously, we've touched on Omniclass. Now, you know, the, the key thing, obviously, today, from my perspective, was to talk about Uniclass 2015 because I think it's actually where Australia is heading. And it's a comment that I had with the likes of many people in government agencies for a number of years now saying, come on, pick a system, pick a side, pick one. You know, we have to pick something because then it gives industry confidence in knowing where we're going from you know the the actions in in the writing of VDAS in in the in the work that's been done for Transport for New South Wales. You know they're two fundamental things that I know that have started the ball rolling to picking a classification system. The Queensland State Government are part of um, the Australian BIM Advisory Board, and the goal of the policy that's been written by the Queensland Government is to align with other government agencies across Australia. So it's placing a strong emphasis of saying, well, we, there is a direction that's now been picked. Hence why I said it, but and hence why we're having the conversation. I know it's probably less important, but it's also probably something wise to touch on so that, you know, we do provide a bit more context to the whole classification agenda without being crazy and naming off a hundred different classification systems. What are some of the other classification systems that are, that are out there around the globe that you could probably just touch on briefly in terms of, you know, we've talked about Omniclass from, from the US. What, what others are there? There's, um, within Europe, there are a couple. Um, there are some Scandinavian countries who are uh, look uh, who are promoting something called co-class. Um, it's it's at a much higher level. It doesn't go into the detail that uh, Uniclass and Omniclass do. Certainly not Uniclass. Um, Stabu in the Netherlands have a, have their own um, classification system as well. They're the ones that I know of that are, are based on the ISO 12006 Part 2 structure. Obviously, there are other classifications. There's a collaboration that has produced the uh, International Construction... No, that's not right. The ICMS. I always get the, um, the, the actual words. But it's a cost management um, system, uh, and that's available it's specific for cost management, so it's not uh, it's not as extensive as what's in Uniclass. But we are working with one of the members of that collaboration, the RICS based in the UK, to provide a mapping to that, uh, so that it, it can be used alongside Uniclass. Within the UK, we have a, an organisation that produces templates a little bit like the VBIS ones that are for the operation and maintenance of plant and equipment, uh, and that's called SFG20. And again, we're working with them to produce a mapping that will then uh, allow to help to fit into the asset manager, the facilities manager's uh, processes already. 
taking the uh, uh, information from uh, what's been handed over by the construction team. Again, that's for a very specific application. And within each organization, there are asset registers that are managed. They may not have a particularly um, lucid uh, structure to them. They've probably grown a bit and, and been added to by various different people without having a strict rules about how things are, are added. But one of the things that, that um, I start with uh, quite often, for example, we're working with the working with the um, water industries, both in the UK and in uh, Australia. We're looking to ensure that we have a code for everything that those uh, different utilities have in their own. Uh, hierarchies. And at that point, they can then start mapping. Um, it doesn't matter how different their hierarchies are one from another. It means that they can then start sharing information about things that are important to uh, to know about uh, the operation of, of uh, various wastewater and water supply systems. So, yes, there are a lot of classification systems out there. But if you then start uh, to map those to one common uh, classification structure, which you've got confidence in that you know is going to be maintained uh, and is freely available, it opens up all sorts of possibilities when it comes to sharing information, combining uh, information. And with, um, for example, uh, with our horrific fire uh, that we had in London, if that information about that type of cladding had been stored by local authorities in one place, then it would have been a matter of hours to collect all the information about which buildings had those sorts of cladding on them, whereas it took about six months to do that particular exercise. So mapping to uh, a standard uh, uh, classification system brings all sorts of benefits with it. One of the things I think is important about that comment was for people in Australia, RICS is essentially the equivalent of AIQS, so the Australian Institute of Quantity Surveyors. They, I believe, and we talked to them, talked to a couple of people, quantity surveyors last year in our podcast, but everyone along the supply chain and throughout the whole process of a delivering asset are going to need baskets structured in the way in which they need the baskets structured to enable them to be more effective in their role. So what you've touched on really is that everyone's going to have their different baskets or different classifications to perform their role. And ideally, there's a, a central classification or almost like a you know a universal language that sits behind all of those that can tie them all together. And that's what you're tr- attempting to do over in the UK in terms of aligning with all those other standards. So from an asset owner's perspective, the key thing is is to understand that Uniclass by itself may not be enough. You may need some other sort of classification system to utilise uh, to manage your asset and that that needs to be documented as part of your information requirements before you engage people at the start of the project so they can incorporate that all in. I think that's probably the the key key things to note and, 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 a, and probably a really good way to to end our chat today, I think, in terms of closing it all out and understanding, well, yes, classification systems, you know, there are many out there, but they have a purpose for each individual along the supply chain and that ideally they, they will line up, but it's not going to be perfect at this stage. And and the feedback loop is there for you as an asset owner or even anyone in industry to communicate back to the NBS regarding Uniclass 2015. So, Sarah, it's been great talking to you today. Now, I have one final question, 
And it's a question that I've asked every single one of my guests I've had on uh, to date. Now, what does BIM mean to you? The management of information. I like short and sweet ones. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, and, and I suppose you can add to that the digital, uh, in a digital world, because uh, there is so much information associated with any kind of asset, right through from that original, right through to the end. You've got to have a clear picture of how to manage all that. So thanks again, Sarah, for your time. Greatly appreciate it. Now, for more information on Sarah, Uniclass 2015, please head over to our website for some further reading. Now, I look forward to sharing more with you in our next episode um, in a fortnight's time. So until then, good luck with your digital transition. For more information, or if you'd like to continue the discussion in the comments section, head over to our website, thedigitaltransition.com. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss out on our future podcasts. Digital transition.